Good morning. Thank you. That was really great. I appreciated that. <clears throat> um, we're going to be in James today, but I want to just touch base with this. You'll see in front of you in the chairs, uh, we've, got a, we've got a new Bible. This is a CSB. I will be using this um, this morning. Our, our scripture and stuff, everything is going to come out of this. So... Um, so we'll be, we'll be talking out of James today. Last week we spoke out of Jude. Jude was James's brother, so James and Jude are both half-brothers of Jesus. As, as you know, siblings don't always necessarily agree and, and see eye to eye. Um, all of Jesus's brothers were, were really known for not believing a word that Jesus was saying. Which is, which is really interesting when you think they grew up with him, they watched him. You know, you, you know how, how we are as, as siblings. We can just see our siblings, who they really are. But yet they got to see him for who Jesus really was, and yet they didn't believe him. In fact, when we, when we read through scriptures and, and reading some of, the, some of the cliff notes, we'll call them commentaries on the side, um, it, it looks and it seems like James, as well as his other brothers, didn't believe him until after he rose from the dead. And at that point, James James become became a real pillar in the church, and um, they they also give him the, gave him the name of Camel Knees because he was he prayed so much his knees just had a had a leather coating on them. And that's one of the things I, I want us to understand today is prayer is such a huge thing and, and how important that is as we walk through this. We'll get to it as we, as we get into the lesson. But I just want to give us an introduction on James to help us walk through that. <clears throat> um, so James, the book of James was written um, between 45 and, 40 and 45 A.D. And, was, and Jesus was crucified about 33 A.D. So you can see the closeness with which with it was with it was written. So with with James being really involved in the church on fire for for spreading the gospel, it was it was obvious that he was he was then you know just a, a you know somebody who was well known. And the church was was pretty tight in Jerusalem at that point until we came to the book of Acts, where Stephen was was stoned for. Standing up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and proclaiming, proclaiming who Jesus was, uh, they didn't want to hear what he had to say, so they took him on and stoned him. And at that point, the church was being prosecuted by by the Pharisees, by Saul, and they they split up and they dispersed all over the place. So um, James also talks about our lives, our lifestyle, how we should live. This isn't a, necessarily a book of that, that talks about, you know, salvation, but yet it's a book that talks about us and how we should live, how we should act, what we should do, and how our lives should, should take place in front of the world we have today. So that's how, that's how we're going to be reading James. That's how we're going to be trying to understand what he has to say for us. Um, We know, as James, 
tells us that God speaks us speaks to us through trials and testing. Um, he was familiar with those as he was martyred later on. Um, we also um, know that as God works in us, he changes us and he grows, he, he grows us, he matures us. And that is part of what we do as parents with our children. We want to teach them and grow them and have them, have them mature into healthy serving adults. We want, them, we want them to understand who Jesus is and be able to move that forward. We want them to see our lives, how we've lived our lives, how we've served, how we've, how we've walked through things, and how we've acted when we've had trials and testing and things like this. <clears throat> they had said once years ago, I was reading, and that they say when you are put in a role of leadership, it really shows your colors, especially when you're tested. It, 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 it shows who we truly are. And, and this is part of it. This is what God wants to do in us, is, is work through that. So he, he, he wants to test us. He wants, to, wants us to walk through trials. We, he wants us to see if when we said, I want you to be Lord of my life, that you meant it. That you actually love him enough to go through this. To trust that he is who he said he was. That's part of what we're going to look at in James. And James doesn't mix words. He's, he's pretty straightforward. It kind of bites. It kind of hurts. And it's not always fun to hear. But it's the reality of what Scripture tells us. And, and, and who we are in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we walk into your word, as we listen to what your servant James had to say, would you open our eyes and our ears, and particularly our hearts, to hear and understand, and then live what we learned today. Lord, speak to us. And change us to be more like you. Amen. So, um, the bulletin says, I'm going to go through verse 18. I'm sorry, I'm not. Uh, you didn't want to be here till noon, so I figured I'd better, I'd better trim it back. Um, so, let's read. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes, he identified, to the 12 tribes, whoops, I've got the wrong sheet here. I'm going to have to read off the screen. <clears throat> To the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that testing of your faith produces endurance. And let, it, let, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. 
That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching heat dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will either will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So as we start, we're going to begin to start at the beginning in verse 1, to the 12 tribes. He identifies that we still have 12 tribes. He identifies that they're all living in Israel. At least this is what I'm pulling out of it. That he, he didn't say we've got 10 tribes who we don't know where they are and all this kind of stuff, but he still, still says we have the 12 tribes that we started with, with Jacob, with Jacob back then. So he, we've still got all these people. They're there, they're there today. They're not necessarily in Jerusalem, but they're in Samaria, Judea. And as Matthew wrote, to all the ends of the world, because that's where God sent them. We, we, we believe that that's why the persecution was there, was to get them out. You know, we get, we get pretty comfy and cozy in our little, we'll call, say, our small groups that we have, our, our friends. You know, we've, we've got our little clique we hang with. And that's, that's fine. It's great to have that. But God is calling us to bigger and better things. He's calling us to get out. He's calling us to be among the world, not of it but in it, reaching others, showing them through our lives, and if we have to, we use words, who Jesus Christ is. He says, greetings. Um, as we go through this, I want you to, to think about the life of Abraham as, as we go through this book. Every once in a while, I'm going to throw a piece in where we're going to talk about Abraham and, and, and Abraham's life. Abraham lived a life of faith. When you think about it, God called him to move to a diff different land that he did not know. And he believed him and did that. God said he was going to have a son. And he and Sarah waited and waited and waited. And, he, and, and Abraham believed him. He said, that son is going to give to us our Savior, the king. And he never, Abraham never got to see that, but he believed it. He, God promised him a land. Abraham didn't get to see that, but he believed it. His faith was very active. When Isaac came, what did God ask him to do? Kill him. Yeah. Yeah. And we're guessing, there, scholars say that Isaac was about 30 years old. Scripture tells us Abraham was about 100 when Isaac was born. So at 130 years, we have Abraham and Isaac going a three-day journey into the wilderness, Abraham knowing what's happening, Isaac and the two guys 
that come with don't. They just know that we're going to go out and worship God with a sacrifice. They get to the place where Moses, where Moses, yeah, I, I knew I was going to do that. Sorry about that. Where Abraham says, we're going to stop here. Let's unload the donkeys. Isaac and I will, will go forward. You two men wait here. We will be right back. So think about that. He's traveled for three days, and I'm going to use the word in the wilderness, three days across sand desert, across wherever it was to, I think it's Moriah, Mount Moriah, where they were to perform the sacrifice. Think what was going through his head. Think of the faith he had to have and the trust and the confidence in who God was. He's 130 years old. Isaac has lived with him for 30 years. And during that 30 years, Abraham has modeled who God is to him through his life. We, we go up the hill. They spread the wood out on the altar. They, they, they get everything all set up. Moses got, or Moses, doggone it. Abraham has the fire. And they're standing there. And, well, actually, this is beforehand. Isaac, Isaac asks Abraham, you know, where's the, where's the sacrifice? He said, his words were, God himself will provide. So he is, he is still believing 100% that he is going to come off that mountain with Isaac by his side. Think of traveling three days through the desert. What's going through your head? What, what are we thinking about? I can't, I can't imagine that. I, I, I can't imagine what's going through his head. We'll get to that in a little bit. They go up on the mountain. Isaac is standing there. Abraham is standing here. Do you think there was a, a tussle to get him to let Abraham bind his hands and bind his feet? Or did Isaac do it freely and willingly? Abraham's 130 years old. Isaac is 30. Who's going to win this fight? I can tell you. <laughs> I've got young boys. <laughs> I know I'm not what I used to be. I don't know, but it's a thought. Did Isaac have the same faith as Abraham did? Did, I, did Isaac believe that God could raise him from the dead? Did Abraham? If we look in Hebrews... Hebrews, verse 19, chapter 8, I believe. No, 11. Verse, chapter 8, 11, verse 19. It tells us that Abraham believed that God could do this. And this isn't something that we would think through naturally. At least I wouldn't. But yet, when you have the faith that Abraham had, 
where he, he has trusted and believed God for 130 years to be faithful, to give him an heir, to provide him a, a family that covers the sands of the, you know, the, you know, numerous as the stars in the sky. Let's call it that. He's believing him to do this, but yet God asked him to sacrifice him. And he says, okay. We know the rest of the story. We understand that God said, wait a minute, shortly before Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac. And we move on. God, God accounted his faith as righteousness. Okay? Let's move into let's move into the second verse in James. Where it says, my brothers and sisters, consider it all joy whenever you experience various trials. Trials, tests. Did Abraham walk through some pretty serious trials and tests? Was his face always, always showing what was going on in his heart? I can imagine walking for three days and agonizing in my heart what I was going to have to do if I was Abraham. That would be really difficult to walk through. But yet, nobody else knew as they traveled what was happening. I don't know if Isaac really realized it until they got up on the mountain, what was going on. How did he consider that all joy? I don't know that he necessarily did, but yet his countenance didn't necessarily show it. As believers, our hearts are saddened by what we see in the world today. All, and, and we could go on for an hour with all the different things that are happening that take our joy away because it just breaks our heart to see what's happening. And yet, how are we to represent Jesus? Are we to have a countenance that shows joy and peace. He tells us that he will give us peace when we come to him. He gives us peace that we can't imagine when we need it the most. God gives us those things. Are we thinking through that as we, as we are walking through our trials and our hard times that we still have a peace because he gives it to us? Are we in here enough and do we know this book well enough that we believe with all our heart that this is a foundation that does not shift, that does not move, that never changes, that tells us how valuable we are and how much he loves us? Do we trust it? Day after day after day, we need that reminder for us to go into a world that is constantly bombarding us with things we, we don't want to hear. That we have to live in and hear things that we don't want to hear. That things happen. Our marriages fail. Our friends turn their backs on us. We lose our jobs. Family members are with us no longer. 
We have to leave our friends because we can't stay where we are. How do we take that and move forward? What do we have that does that? All we have is this book to, tear, to carry us, to help us, to give that direction, to give us that joy and that peace to know that we have a hope. This is where our endurance comes from. This is where our patience comes from. This is where all that we have to stand on comes from because everything else can be stripped away. This cannot. So if the testing of our faith, faith produces endurance, verse 4 says, let the endurance have its full effect so that we may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Parents, how many of you want your children to go up and be mature and lacking nothing? We all do. It makes it it gives us no greater joy in a parent's heart to see our children grow up and become adults and move forward living the faith that this book talks about are we modeling that for our kids are we giving them that example that they can endure as they face the world are we giving them that example that they know that my parents spent a lot of time in this book reading it, studying it, understanding it, and pouring it into their hearts. Do we know that? And are we doing that? Endurance also, patience, gives us the ability for us to say, God, it's yours. We are in your hands. We trust you completely. And we believe that you will take us where you want us to go when you want us to go there. You will give us what we think is going to be the best thing ever. And yet, it's not what God wants for us. So we wait, just like Abraham and Sarah waited for Isaac. They waited and they waited. We, we are in the same boat. We have to trust God to give us what he sees fit. And that, would be the, that will be the best for us. There's no question about that. We need to submit to his very best. We are not to struggle with God, to complain with God, or to argue with God. We can. It's not going to go very far, but at least we get it off our chest. Is he willing to hear it? Yeah, he is. If he's okay with that. He's okay if we scream at him. But in the end, we're still going to be trusting him 
and believing him to take us where we need to go. Verse 5 tells us, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So I think of the word ungrudgingly, and I, I think of my dear wife who I'm enjoying my coffee, and she'll say, can I have some of that? And I'll say, Okay. And then I'll be eating my bowl of ice cream, and she doesn't do this anymore, but she used to do it a lot. Can I have some of that? You know, and I'll say, really? I'd have gotten more if I knew you were going to do this, you know? So, so and, it's, and it's over and over and over again. And forgive my hard heart, because I need to be ungrudgingly giving to her. But when it comes to some of my things, they're mine. And it's, and it's part, of, part of my sinful nature. But God isn't that way. He wants us to ask. And when we ask for wisdom, what are we really asking for? What is, what is wisdom? And how do we get it? If we look at, if we look at, we don't have to go there, but if you look at Job 28, verse 28, God tells Job, he said, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And if we look at Proverbs 8, verse 35, he said, for the one who finds wisdom, he finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So when we ask for wisdom, we're asking for life. And what is that life? It's a life abundant. It may not be what we think we want, but it's going to be what we need. It's going to it's going to give us a life that we can live in peace with the Father. It's a life that we have no guarantees, but yet allows us to know and believe and stand on that God is who he says he is. It allows us the peace to trust him that he will do what he says he does. That's our wisdom. That, that's what we're coming from. It's not, it's not the wisdom of an architect or an engineer. It's not the necessarily the wisdom of a doctor or or those types of things. But it's a wisdom for us to live life and live it for God's glory and not for mine. It isn't about me, even though I want life to be about me. I tell my wife all the time, well, I don't like that. You know, I don't agree with you. And yet, most of the time I'm wrong, but that's another story. But that's what God gives us. He gives us that wisdom to understand, to help me understand that I have a woman that is, that is my help meet, that walks beside me no matter what and helps me to see what God is saying. It helps me to understand how, how 
ornery and crazy and selfish I really am. And most of the time, she does it really kindly. Every once in a while, she gets, has to get a little gruff, but most of the time, she does it pretty kindly. <laughs> but wisdom is a big deal. When you read Proverbs, when you read verse, chapter 28 of Job, where God is talking to Job about wisdom, there, it's, just, it's just an interesting read and in how that changes our lives. And then we move on to faith, verses 5 through 8. But let him ask for faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the sea driven by the wind and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. As we, as we look at that verse, we look at our inability on our own to solve problems, to walk through some of these things. Because, because we can be, as, as, as people without knowing Jesus, we can, be, we can be driven, we can be tossed, we can be turned by the way the culture is moving. If we look at the Israelites, God told them to drive out all the people in their land that he was giving them. He wanted them all out of there and gone, and they did not do that. And what happened? What happened to them? They caved and they gave in. They gave in to the world. They gave in to the cultures that God did not want them to give in to. That's what they did. They allowed someone else to change who they were and take them away from God. Scripture would say that this is talking about someone who is who is not saved, someone who is who is in the world and and and, and doesn't doesn't follow Jesus. I, I don't know that I, I necessarily agree with that. I look at it as somebody who is who is immature and needs someone to walk alongside them someone to guide them and strengthen them and help, help, help them with their walk. And hopefully if, if someone in here is feeling that, feeling torn by what the world is pulling at us, my prayer for you is grab a brother, grab a sister, have them walk with you. Have them help you get into the foundation, get into the moorings, get into that anchor that will hold you where we need to be. The second to the last piece of this, we're talking about the brothers of humble circumstances boasting in their exaltation. But let the rich boast in their humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flowers fall off. Its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away, pursuing his pursuits. Pursuing his activities. Sorry. God is the leveler of all we know. He doesn't have a favorite. 
He doesn't put people in pedestals. The Pharisees told Jesus point blank, you are no respecter of men. And that's who God is. God sees us all the same because he knows our hearts. He understands that. So where, where I believe this verse is, is taking us is, is that God takes that field, he levels it, he sees us all the, all the same value. What we have can be taken away, whether it's nothing or whether we have everything. What we hang on to defines us. If we're hanging on to this, it's going to define it differently than if I'm hanging on to my 401k and my retirement and all these things. Because of who we are in Jesus determines who we are for life. <clears throat> I will announce that I'm, a, I'm an automation engineer for ADM, Archer Daniels Midland. I've been that for 30 years. And I love my job. It does not define who I am. But it still does not define who I am. My life has to live as Jesus would have it in order for me to make a difference in the world. Because all the work I did for the last 30 years is really worthless unless I made a difference in my colleagues that sat beside me. So rich or poor... bald or with hair, <laughs> makes no difference. What difference are we making? That's, that's the difference. The last, my last point is verse, or, uh, verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures the trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown that God has promised to those who love him. So we get a crown at the end of, end of life. That's really what that's saying. But he puts the phrase at the end, to those who love him. I asked you earlier, do you love Jesus? Do we love God? Do we love him? That's what he's asking. That's what he's, he's telling us in his word. If we love Jesus, what then? How does that change? To love someone, as I love my wife, we will spend time with them. We will want to have conversations with them. We will, listen, we will want, want to listen to what they have to say. We will want to serve them and give special gifts to us, or to them, sorry. You can see my selfishness is coming out already. <clears throat> That's what love is. Love is a verb that we work on. Do we truly love Jesus? Do we love Jesus enough to say, yes, I will follow you. God, where do you want me to go? <sighs> yeah, I'll put my bag on my shoulder, and I will walk beside you, Jesus. I hope that answer is yes.
Because that's what God is, is. That's what I see God is saying in this verse today. And I believe that's where God would have us. Love God. We'll fall away. We've seen that in multiple people that have been big in the media, different things like that. We've had friends who have followed Jesus and followed Jesus and followed Jesus, and all of a sudden, they're gone. Did they really know him? I can't answer that. But when I read that text, that's where my head goes. Did he really love Jesus? If we are loving Jesus, we are following him and in his will and, and, and knowing that this is a good, safe place for us to be. And if not, I'm falling away. Because if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. There's no in-between. One of the things I, I, I wanted to share was the testing. Jesus, God was testing Abraham through this. God was, God was testing the Israelites as they came out of Egypt and, you know, at time after time after time, you know, there's all this stuff going on and the Israelites just push back and, and all this kind of stuff. We get, we get through the desert, we get, to the, we get to the Red Sea, you know, as we left Egypt and we got to cross that. God is still testing them and they're complaining and, 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 and all these types of things. In Judges, chapter 3, the first paragraph, it reads, These are all the nations the Lord left in order to test all those in Israel. And a little further down, it said, The Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands. He had given to his ancestors through Moses. God is going to test us. Where will we be at the end of the testing? That is dead. Sisters, we are the voice of Jesus to the world around us. It is the world that is dead in need of a Savior. We need to understand that the Word of God is the only foundation that we can stand on that will not give way. Our lives will be shaken by trials and tests that will push us to the decision, do I trust what the Bible is telling me? What will our answer be? And if and if we don't even know what it says, how can we stand? We need to know God's word. Father, give us a love for your word. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts that we would love you and desire nothing more to be in your word and in your will. We love you, Lord. And may you be glorified in all we say and do. Amen.